Hey, this is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. And this week, my conversation is around something that we've been talking about for quite some time, and that's supply chain and logistics. Before we dive into the conversation, I needed to find a supply chain expert, and I happened to find one in Daniel Vassar. Daniel's got 20 years of experience in the logistics and supply chain business with some of the largest retailers on earth, trying to figure out how do we solve these problems? They've been doing it long since before COVID, using technology and people and incentives. What can we automate? What can we mechanize? And where can we get more efficient and more effective with our people and our solutions? Well, then COVID hit, and everything's been put to the stress. And Daniel spends a lot of time helping us to understand it's not primarily about where the supplies are made, although certainly that is part of the challenge, but it's about people and entire social changes within the supply chain and logistics world, and also how other organizations are buying up components, for example, forklifts and other things in year, two years in advance. And how does that impact all of us? It's a really cool conversation. I was fascinated to learn a lot of it. And I don't know that we've got easy answers, but it's certainly compelling. I love the conversation. I think you'll love it too. So join us for the conversation on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Three, two, one, Daniel Vassar. Welcome to the QTS Experience. Hey, Dave. Good to be here. I am... I'm really stoked to have you on today because I want to know what the heck is going on with my supply chain stuff. It's like the whole world is melting down. You're a supply chain and logistics guru. So can you take this complex, crazy challenge? And uh, well, first, why don't we do this? Describe to the folks what your role is um, and your experience, and then help set the table for us on what's going on. We'll dive into more detail later, but what's all the pressure? The pressure, yeah. So uh, I'm at, currently at Racetrack as the executive director of supply chain uh, on the merchandise side. So okay. not the fuel specifically, but working with the food and what gets delivered in the stores. And prior to that, 15 years at Kroger. So okay. uh, lots of varied experience in technologies where I started my career at Kroger and then uh, process improvement and then in operations for, for 10 years before joining racetrack. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of pressures out there in the supply chain, no doubt. And right. it's, uh, it's getting harder every day. And, and, uh, I don't have good news for the future really. So, well, that's not super <laughs> exciting, but before we go there, how were you in school and you just decided, Hey, you know what I want to, that looks like fun. I want to, I want to get into a job that if I do my job, well, people don't notice and I get no kudos and accolades. <laughs> But if I don't do it well, the whole world's shaking their fist at me. How'd you get involved in it? Yeah, so by accident, like most folks who fall into a career, right, it was an ac accidental thing, knew someone who knew someone. And I, my first job in, out of college was international freight forwarding, which is a, a non-asset-based freight forwarder. So I was an air export agent. So if you wanted to send your widgets to England, you would call me. I would figure out how to get it on a truck to the airport on an airplane and and over to to England. So that was my my first foray into into logistics and supply chain world and um, and then did some stuff with a courier company and then Kroger was actually my third my third job. So uh, yeah, I didn't start out having intentions of being uh, logistics and supply chain. What's the difference between 
logistics and supply chain. I'm not sure I know the difference. For me, they're almost synonymous. I mean, one really is the other. Supply chain really, though, is more about the broader scope and and uh, of a network. And logistics is kind of how I do more finite things. So at Kroger, it was Kroger Logistics, but we're just, you know, we really looked at moving goods from a distribution center to a store. That's the logistics of that. The mm-hmm. supply chain is really about how do I get my strawberries from California to Atlanta to the store in the customer's cart, right? So supply chain is more holistic and logistics is more kind of finite. What part of it is where you store stuff? So for example, I, you know, supply chain to me seems like the thing on the, um, I don't know, maybe the strategic, here's the big idea. We want to sell these things. Here's who can supply it. And, and, um, you know, we're going to make contracts and here's how we're going to make money and whatever. And then logistics, again, outside looking is more tactical. We pick it up here. We put it in this kind of a container to protect whatever it is. We get it to this spot where it's stored until we put it on the shelf. Exactly. Okay. Yep. That's how I would define it. I didn't even look at Wikipedia for that. (laughs) You got it, Dave, you know. Yeah. Well, that seems easy. I should go do that. Yeah. It's easy. Supply chain's easy. (laughs) Yeah. No, heck no. So look, you know, it, I, I don't want to, sound lazy in the sense of um, obviously the pandemic has caused, it seems like, a lot of the pressure that's going on. And by that, I just mean, and I mean, it's everywhere. It seems like to me, I was at the pharmacy the other day. They were, um, they never have, I have a very common medicine. That's one of the most common there is. And they just look, you know, we've, it's this, and my my pharmacy is a Kroger pharmacy. And here's the Here's the backup. Right. Your medicine's probably on a boat. It's probably anchored somewhere. But they, they without my pharmacist getting into the detail, but just like, you know, we're, we're, we're experiencing these um, delays. Right. And so help us to understand the interconnectedness of how the global supply chain, or to whatever degree you can explain it, what's going on and why is there, why is it now not working the way we thought it would well as you know most everything begins begins and ends with people right. and uh especially in the food supply chain specifically i think a lot of people would be surprised how or maybe not but how labor intensive it still is mm. i mean it's not as automated uh, kroger's kind of on the leading edge of grocery retailers and some of their automation and technology and and it's in a only a, a few di- distribution centers out there not very widespread mm. and so you still rely very heavily on people to do a lot of the processes mainly the trucking side of it too, right? And as uh, estimates, 50,000 to 100,000 driver, uh, 100,000 people driver shortage out there, depending on who you talk to. But those problems had, had existed for many years uh, yeah. before the pandemic, and they just got exposed. As as uh, demand has gone up, consumer uh, practices have changed. Amazon is bigger than ever and continues to right. suck up a lot of capacity and change how people shop and and uh, you have different ways to get products. So, you know, I think the tentacles of supply chain and supply in general are more splintered, which which then makes it harder too to to manage uh, a little along with the people. Right? We, we've we've experienced over the last year uh, shortages in every category because at one point, you know, the strike that uh, one of the major CPGs had, you know, what's a CPG? Uh, consumer products. Okay. Consumer good products. Okay. Um, you know, like Pete Procter and Gamble or Craft okay, sure. or right. yeah, one of the major guys. Okay. So they had a, 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 a Ms. Mondelez. They had a major 
uh, strike. And mm-hmm. that when when that when that happened, uh, then you don't get <laughs> the, what you stop the flow. Right when you right. stop the flow, it takes a while to get the train running again. Especially as you uh, we kind of talked earlier about just in time, right? So just in time inventories and moving to that that arena, they just don't have the safety stocks. And really, when COVID when it happened um, back in twenty. 2020, where are we? 2022. (laughs) Two years ago, I mean, when things kind of shut down, the demand did not stop, right? People were still eating, people were still consuming, people were still doing a lot of things. And the safety stocks that were there began just to, the reserves got depleted and they just never have really recovered. And it's harder to recover now than ever before because the the lack of people, the lack of truck drivers, the lack of, materials is a problem we we at racetrack we supply the pizza boxes we keep running out of pizza boxes because major uh cardboard manufacturers can't get cardboard when you say with the people where'd the people go well that i I wonder about that too i mean we we uh it was not a very desired and i speak specifically for our industry uh in food distribution right it's a tough job like i said still very labor intensive throwing cases uh, people don't really want to do that work. Uh, drive a forklift, being 34 degree temperatures, you know, lifting 50 pound cases for eight hours a day uh, at a pace that that we ha- do have labor standards and uh, we measure people's performance. And I've I know Amazon and others and all the major companies have those things and they right. have an expectation. And that generation, Dave, I know I've heard you talk about the generations. And if they can't do it on their phone and in one touch, they don't really want to do it. But the target demographic for us in distribution are those 18 to 24 to 26-year-olds, a lot of males, given the physical nature of the work. And, uh, you know, we still do have expectations of drug drug testing and background checks. and, And you need to come to work and be timely and those kind of core things. And that's hard for that generation. Mm. Uh, of what we've what we found <laughs> friend of mine um his son and i got to talk to him recently um he's probably his late 20s mid to late 20s he works at um, fedex and i you know over my lifetime uh, especially in my 20s i knew a number of people that worked at ups hubs and those hubs are it's tough work but it's at the time and i'm sure now too really good pay if you're a college kid it's hard work well, it's really good. Um, Louisville, I knew a number of right. people that worked there at the hub. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's a full contact sport. You know, you, you, people don't hold your hand. You've got to work hard. You get barked at, kind of like the military. Yes. <laughs> but you get paid pretty good. And, you, you know, if you can do it and you can hang in there. And, um, and they work with kids' hours, you know. And so he was telling me about today he works at, uh, again, I think it's federal... Um, uh, FedEx. And he said, you know, we'll get a crop of 10 or 12 people in two weeks later to have survived. That's right. <laughs> just to be, and it's less about, I, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't know so much that people are being eliminated because they smoke some weed or they do whatever right. it is. You gotta be here when the shift starts. Right. And when you're here, you've got to get all of these things in a timely manner into that spot and you can't just throw them in. Like there's gotta be a little bit of quality, not a lot, but there's some quality work that you've got to do. This isn't detailed finesse work, but it is um, just get after it. And you should be able to learn your job within a few days. This is the systems that they've employed. This is just him explaining to me. It's pretty, they've simplified it. 
sh- short of putting in a, a machine, right? It, it's really here's you know this size goes there, this size like here's how you do it. It's a very simplified uh, manner, and then after that, it's just go, 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 go. And when you're done, you said, "Man, I get a pretty good check." And he's already been promoted once or twice in the couple months because he stuck around, he's comes done well, <laughs> comes to work, and he's uh, he's like, "I don't know if this is my dream job." But now, after two months, he's like, "I've been so rewarded so quickly." Right. Still a tough job. They're not. Oh, you know, let's have a circle of trust right. hug. Right. Or whatever. It's not <laughs> that at all. But they're like, "Hey, man, you just shut up and do your job, and you you do well. Nobody's mistreated, but you do well." Um, he's also going to school. He's like, hmm, maybe there's an opportunity should I perform 12 or 18 months down the road that I can hopefully not be on this line, but whatever my opportunity, there's some real opportunities, not just driving for one of the food delivery or whatever. Right. And that seemed awesome to me when I was a kid, but it doesn't seem to be as attractive anymore. So maybe that's where the the people have gone. But, you know, it's not just labor-intensive, I mean, uh, back and, you know, strong arm required males, it's pretty much every genre right. is struggling to find people. And I keep wondering where'd they, where'd they go? Yeah, I've been asking the same question. Uh, and I don't know that I have a, a good answer because, uh, I mean, now that we thought, we've certainly seen over time government benefits come and go and, and you see the folks that are just there to get uh, do an interview so they can say to, <laughs> that they did an interview to, to get right. those, keep the benefits flowing. But we've also, you know, we usually they come back. Usually we see those ebbs and flows and people come back after the holidays or they might leave. You have a, a lull in applicants during tax return time and then they, they come back or they need money for the holidays and, and you get people that are, you know, seasonal that then go away again. But uh, they just aren't coming back um, like they like they used to. It just, it's just continues to be a real struggle. Are they going to something else? For example, uh, a friend of mine there, he works for... Um uh, another a guy in his twenties, he worked for a um, uh, a specialty boutique restaurant that's having a re- renovation for about sixty days, and um, so he went to he went to one of the delivery food delivery things, and um, there were a number of opportunities for him to do things like uh, uh, for more money temp construction help temp. There were a number of things that needed to be get right. done, and and you know considerably more money. No, I don't want to do that. You know, when I'm not delivering, I'm on my, and I don't mean this as disparaging, not at all. I mean, he's like, why would I do that? I'm warmer sitting here in my car. I've got my phone. Right. I can watch my shows. When, when it's time to do something, it tells me, Hey, go pick this up and deliver it there. I get my, I'd rather do that for less money and then just park and wait for the next ding on my phone, than make more money, but have to put in a lot more effort um, I'm just I'm just not interested in that. I wonder if that's part of it. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I keep saying that we we've been talking a long time, the last ten years, about engagement, right? How to engage the workforce, how to meet them where they are. Take we turn things like fantasy football in into a competition at the at the DC, right. you know, and we do a, a safety team, and then you get points, and then we verse each other, and you got coaches that are your supervisors or your coaches and. Uh, we talked about doing on the boards, uh, the video boards, making a Minecraft or Fortnite, like right. try to really appeal to those to those uh, team members or associates and, and things that they care about and make it more fun, right? And right. how do you make work more fun? And that really wasn't, you know, back 
<laughs> 20 yeah. years ago, 30 years. I mean, that wasn't nobody's trying to make the job fun, but but it certainly try to attract folks and keep them engaged and and keep them coming to work. Uh, I think to your point, there's just a lot of things that people can go do and not have to work as hard. Uh, and and uh, the I think the economy. I mean, to go be, of course, Uber and Lyft have taken a hit with COVID, but mm-hmm. uh, Amazon continues to grow, and I can maybe go just be an Amazon driver or do other things versus you know some of the harder the harder more labor-intensive work that's out there and pay you we talked about that but we saw that coming several years ago mcdonald's other you know the 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 wages used to be good at a kroger distribution center let's say twenty dollars an hour or something but that's not good anymore right i mean so kroger i know has adjusted uh, Mm -hmm. since i departed we at racetrack we adjusted the starting wage up a couple three dollars in the warehouse to Mm -hmm. to truly we had a 300% turnover, right? So right. we're trying to squelch the turnover by raising the rate to keep people coming to work. And we gave an incentive for attendance, right? right. So we'll give you, just come, we'll give, we'll right. give you more money. Right. And uh, that has worked. We, we've had some success, but again, it's all relative, um, you know, to what the market is doing and where can I, a lot of those folks can, if they can get an extra dollar doing the same work right. down the street, then, so there's just not a lot of loyalty there right. to your point. I think people saw things as careers. If I do this for six months a year, I, I see a career progression, and that's not really the generation. It's kind of uh, more. I'll do this for a year, and then maybe I'll go get another dollar extra over here and do that for a year, and right. and move around. I mean, there's just not a lot of loyalty. That that which also, as you know, with turnover hurts your productivity. So if we're in this constant training mode. We never get truly productive, and so you really need 25, 30 percent more people than you would need if you had people that were not turning over as quickly. And, and, um, but to your point about technology and simplifying tasks, I mean, that's where you really want to put as much, if you can't automate it, mechanize it in some way or technology that would streamline that. Uh, and that's why I'm so always so impressed with, uh, McDonald's or other, other folks that I see that they've just, they completely simplify every task so they can handle that turnover uh, as rapidly as as possible. Yeah, I. Well, as you were talking there, it, you know, I think at least as it relates to truck drivers, I have a friend. Um, last year, he got his CDL, um, maybe maybe a little bit more than a year now, and um, he said, "Believe it or not, surprisingly, it was hard to get a job." You hear this thing about right? We we need drivers. We need drivers because for f- ten years we've told them autonomous vehicles are going to replace your job, right? right? You're vulnerable. Right. Get out of there. Right. So why would I do that? It, right. At one time, I want to say for white males between 30 and 55, that was the most common, some kind of delivery or over-the-road driver. That was the most common. A lot of lot of vets with PTSD, they just want to control their environment right. or whatever the reason was. It was a really interesting um, article and situation. Well, they, I'm sure they got anxious. Like, what's going on? Well, now, if you go get your CDL, and my guy's buddy's in his 50s, he's like, dude, it took me forever after I got it because nobody wants that first year. Everybody right. wants you 18 months in. That's right. That's right. But because of insurance or whatever, <laughs> you know, um, and I thought, well, well, do they not just pay you the intr- entry, whatever, the, that first year wage, which is, you know, it's kind of like being a rock star, that first album. You're going to make 60 cents. You're going to make enough to pay your beer. <laughs> and maybe cover the video costs. But, you know, you're on the radio. That used to be the big thing. And, right. you know, the albums after that you got paid was kind of how it went. N- not that I was a rock star, although I should have been. <laughs> I started a punk rock band 
um, called Batter Girlfriend back in the 80s. Oh. Um, and I was going to be Claudette Spiderbarf. I thought that was the perfect <laughs> stage name my friends and I came up with. And uh, nobody, nobody took us up on that. Evidently, you have to sing and play. But <clears throat> in any event, he, um, so he, I said, what, what if that first year they just pay you whatever the non-competitive rate is? But if you make it that year, right. you get a $25,000 bonus or a $50,000 bonus. And if you sign a three-year contract with us, you don't have to pay that back, you mm-hmm. know, as long as you get through that three years. And now we're going to double or triple your rate. So I, I'm able to bridge both those gaps. I get a new person at this greater risk but much lower rate. Right. I said, yeah, you'd think, but it's, it's just not. Now he did. He got it because people will take a chance. He got a, right. he got a pretty good route, but it was, um, uh, you know, it's a challenge. And he's out shopping now, you know. He, right. They got him in at the slave labor rate, essentially. Right. And now he's ready for my 16, 18 months of experience and pick up a different route. So other, other than people and trucking, what are the, some of the other pressures? We mentioned just in time before. Yeah. And, and, it, it seems to me um, a, a couple eye-openers, and we don't have to pick on any particular country. It doesn't really matter. But so many things that we get are not within a two- or three-hour right. drive of me. They're not made there. They're not, they may be stored there, but they're not made nearby or even in the country. And it's pretty much the whole gamut. And we just have this, if we have people and labor challenges here, either because they're sick or because work patterns have changed or there's an incentive not to come to the office or their factory's not open because there's a liability that they're having to work through. They have to shut down every time there's a, a situation. Well, that's going on in other countries as well. It's going on at the dock. It's going on on the shippers. It's going right. on whatever. That's what it seems like. Is that true or can you elaborate on yeah, that? Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I mean, that's just a domino effect, right? So every every link in that supply chain or link in the, the chain that someone is out for a day or two or you have uh, you don't have the same productivities that you had before, it just gets exasperated and the lead times get continue to get longer and longer. And certainly that's happening all over the world. And uh, it's just taking a long, you know, a longer time to, to feel it. Uh, and I don't see that improving uh, you know, I think it's a five-year problem, really, till you get maybe COVID completely in hand, and you don't you don't have the the shutdowns, and then uh, you know then it becomes it just dominoes, right? The, the the raw material impacts like cardboard, as an example, or if the mills shut down, then I can't get cardboard. I fall behind in production, and I don't have pizza boxes, and then I have to look for alternatives, or you know, toilet paper, or or whatever. You know, you you name the item, chips for cars, and mm. and the production gets behind. I mean, it, it's it's uh, and now you know the same thing is happening with uh, our assets. <clears throat> the lead time for trailers is two years to get a brand Wh- new which trailer. trailers like a trailer, a fifty three foot okay. refrigerated yeah, trailer. Gotcha. It's now it's now gone to two years because uh, and same with material handling equipment. Amazon I know has gone out. The manufacturers have told me and said. They've taken every new forklift we can produce over the next two years, right? Because they just saw this short supply, and they want to keep their operation running, and it's expanding, and you right. need new assets to do that. Um, and now they tell me the rental fleets have completely dried up because you can't get new because the big guys are sucking up all the new capacity, right? So it's just continuing to cascade. That's the part that's really um, – you know, as you look forward, uh, you think about we got to move all the goods and that we that are being produced. But but uh, tractors are a two year lead time, trailers are a two year lead time, material handling equipment's a two year lead time to get new. So you have to keep limping along 
all your existing assets. So that's where I say this is a, you know, at least a five year issue that you're not really going to get it back because you just have this, uh, this backlog of issues that are going to take a while to, to come through. Is it because we have so much disposable money to just buy stuff? Like, for example, we talked about chips a, a minute ago and, um, you know, it takes a while to make chips. They're not easy to make. They're right. made in other places. We used to make them in um, the U.S. In uh, uh, we, uh, my company bought a old chip manufacturing uh, place in um, Richmond, Virginia. Beautiful, amazing facility. <clears throat> very, very powerful. Um, really, really. You know, if nobody's been into one of these big chip manufacturers, they've. No, I mean, this thing's a nuclear bomb shelter because the, the machines are so heavy, they move so quick, the air quality has to be so tight, um, and the machines are, um, they're so precise, they can't move. So they have to be on these really heavy concrete platforms, yeah. and, you know, so they're, they're just these big bunkers, and they're massive, hundreds of thousands of square feet in many cases. And they built this facility and operated it for well over a billion dollars. We bought it for... 14 million, uh, you know, pennies, not even pennies on the dollar uh, 10, 12, 15 years ago. And it's a massive data center now because we just couldn't afford to make chips. There wasn't the kind of demand that you see today. Everybody needed chips, but it was nothing like you can compete with Malaysia or Taiwan or some of these other places. Well, now, you know, there's um, everything. I was looking at a... um, I was getting frustrated with my coffee maker. Like, I never can predict the time to set this stupid timer. And I wonder if there's an app or, you know, something with Bluetooth or tied to my home network or whatever that says, hey, or to my I, you know, my Apple Watch. Right. It's got to be able to tie to my Apple Watch that, oh, he's up and moving. The shower's kicked on. Kick that coffee. Or at least give me the signal. Hey, you want me to turn on the coffee? Right, you know, right. get that thing going. Um, <clears throat> wh- whatever it is, well, you need a, you know, we need a chip for that. Oh. We need a, We need a chip for the microwave. We need a chip for the vacuum cleaner. We need a chip for the thermostat. We need. Right. A, it's not just a chip for the car or the generator. You need a chip in the oven to, for the pizza. You know, right. all of this stuff. Everything. It's not just where chips are and the and the pressure we're talking about. It doesn't seem like it's that the whole world needs chips. Right. Right. Chips and everything else. <laughs> how, how do we get away? I don't know. We can get away from them. so. When you sit there and you look at the the five year plan, when you're in a spot like you guys are, how do you how do you manage that? How do you do you do you you shrink your inventory? Do you shrink locations? Do you keep it all going? And you just some days we have less than others. How do you how do you think through that as a pro in this spot? And what are your peers saying? Yeah, that's what you uh, we haven't been trying to shrink inventory. Actually, all the conversations are how do you grow your inventory? It's, and what you're gonna or what you have seen really. Uh, and a lot of companies in, in the food space really try to be more vertically integrated than they ever have been. What does that mean? So uh, Chick-fil-A, as an example, they've taken on their own distribution, right? So they used to use um, XYZ food service company, mm-hmm. right? So they said, you know, we're going we're gonna to have more control because we can do it better. We can do it cheaper. We, we have control. We'll go get our own drivers. We won't rely on XYZ company to get drivers or hire warehouse people. We'll we'll start our own warehouse. We'll get our own trucking company. We'll buy our own assets and be more vertically integrated that way. And that's really the racetrack model too, is how can, how can we have more control about the key items and make sure that they're in stock? When you go through a distributor, they're servicing 
multiple brands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they might go to Circle K or Shell or Chevron, but but right. for us, it's racetrack, and right. we service racetrack. We're dedicated, and then how can we grow our own inventory and protect our supply and protect our customers, and that that we can stay in stock, right? That's the that's the name of the game with food or chips or anything we're talking about. How can you stay in stock and take more control? Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? It seemed like we spent all this time building a decentralized model. Right. And now we're talking about, you know, where where it's distributed. The risk is distributed. I don't have to maintain a fleet. I don't have to maintain an army of people. I'm not responsible. You know, if I'm a if I'm a diesel mechanic, do I really, you know, um, do I want to go work for a gas station or do I want to work for a, one of the big diesel farms? You know, if, we, if you're, we're in the data center business, do I want my security guards, would they have the same career path that somebody's building the cloud uh, compute infrastructure out there for one of the big five social media or cloud e-commerce right. platforms or whatever? You know, there I look at tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of computers, I feel like, hmm, there may be an IT path here for me, as opposed to you know, I'm providing physical security or the cameras or whatever. And and so what part of that gets outsourced or whatever? And what it sounds like you're describing is, man, how to, to gain control, both on quality and availability and whatever, we want to bring this process back in. And it just feels like that's undoing the last 50 to 100 years of how do we get more efficient and more lean? It, it is because there's a, if you think about just pallets, right? That's been a, a problem. Pallets like uh, wood pallets. Wood that pallets. Yeah. That's been a problem. Uh, I know this past year that the supply of pallets to put product on, like, you know, uh, one of the major pullers had an issue or have issues, right? With drivers and labor and they can't get pallets. And uh, I know we have a friend that works at Costco. He mentioned that Costco went out and said, we'll, we'll just make our own pallets and we'll try to keep them internal to our network and, and, uh, you know, the vertically integrate pallets and get away from relying on another supplier. But to your point, I mean, that's that's uh, many, many years of kind of getting efficiencies from the scale right. and then taking it in a different direction, which has also put more pressure on all the other things, all the assets that we're talking about. Right. People mm-hmm. and and you're you're getting more individualized, you know, not. Now, instead of the food service distributor needing forklifts, now let's just say racetrack needs forklifts, Chick Fil A needs forklifts. You know, if we maybe we had a common supplier at one time, and now we all have individual needs that that weren't there before, which puts much more pressure on people and and assets and um, all the impacts of that up and down the up and down the chain. How how we you know a lot of the guests that come on the show, some of the things we talk about are how. A lot of what we've talked about so far is sort of process and procedure and philo- philosophical change to gain control and um, because of market conditions or whatever. I'm wondering or I'm curious, how are you um, integrating artificial intelligence? How are you integrating analytics? How are you integrating tech to help you predict what we're going to need when we're going to need it, how we're going to... Um, you know, how are we going to deliver it on time, et cetera? How are, what are some of the in supply chain logistics, wherever do you see that developing? Well, it starts with the customer sales data, right? I mean, that's using artificial intelligence and the forecasting and getting, you know, in Kroger and other everywhere I've been, it's all about how can I get the, the richest data and information, get that into my, into my buying platform 
and where, what am I buying at the right lead times? I mean, that's that's a big one. So I have enough time to make sure that I'm in stock, right? So that's that's the big one to continue to work on the forecasting models, taking in, uh, you know, a big one for Kroger was always weather conditions or mm-hmm. seasonality and and things that you can't predict, right? Like, uh, you know, things that happen, but there are a ton of things that you can predict as it relates to the weather and the forecast. And, sure. you know, when, uh, when spring breaks here in Atlanta, water sales and, and beverage sales go, go through the roof, right. right? So you want to be prepared for this. So, so, uh, there's a ton of AI and, and, uh, modeling and it goes into, uh, there's a ton of engines out there that, uh, technology providers that, that provide that operationally, you know, you have to just try to be always your ear on the you're on the ground, right? What, what's what's going to be the next promotion? What do I need to be planning for from a labor perspective and tractors and trailers and people to ensure that you can make it happen regardless of what that forecast comes do, down to? Do at. they help you pick? Um, you know, we've talked a lot about pizza, which I think is kind of cruel because I'm on day two of this <laughs> diet program thing that I'm doing. Um, and while I'm not a big pizza guy, that's making me hungry. Um, but, you know, do you have tools that can say, or, or maybe this is a future thing, you know, our, our data says that, look, if, if somebody goes to get a pizza, for example, and it's not available, they'll grab a hot dog or they'll grab a, like, they're looking for something that's hot. They look for something that's convenient, fit in their lap while they're in a car. Cause when they're coming to a facility like yours, usually it's, um, I want some warm, I'm going to eat it on the road or on the go, generally speaking. Uh, I never drove over to Racetrack or, or Bucky's or whatever and said, hmm, I'm going to pick up something to bring back, you know, pick up right. 10 dogs and a bag of chips to take back <laughs> to the house and serve up. Um, I'm usually eating it on the go or and just on my way to work or something. So I wonder if they have tools that can help them predict, hey, look, if they chose this or this, you know, when this is out of stock, this is what the trend is. We go right. do these things. So if we can't get A because whatever supply chain pressures, so long as we have B, you know, we can we can still get eighty percent of the way to our sales. Or do they have anything like that? Yeah, I know the CPG like Procter's and Gamble. They they that's their world they live in is what what are people going to trade for right? Okay. And Kroger definitely had all of that. That was why they promoted all their private selection or Kroger branded items, right? So. And, and they have the Kroger Shopper Plus card data that put them really out ahead of everybody 20 years ago. Yeah. That uh, I need the, my three-cent discount. You got your three-cent discount. And for that, you know, Kroger gets all the information. And, and yeah. it's pretty amazing, you know, what they can do with promotions, target marketing, as well as just knowing what people are going to buy. They, they, they know, you know, your, your habits probably better than you do <laughs> with all that data that they have. And uh, it's really powerful for sure, to help know what customers are going to trade for. And then they, they segment all the customers as well, right, to help to, to, to flow it all the way back to promotions. Or in a, and it's all about sales. But mm-hmm. what should we promote? What should we promote together? What When people buy water, what else are they going to buy? If they're buying hot dogs, they're usually going to buy ketchup and mustard too, right? That kind of mm-hmm. all the complementary items that you want to put on sale together and create. Uh, and, then, and then for us, supply chain logistics, how that ties in is – we might key something called a distribution means we're just going to push it out. We're not going to wait for the store to order it. We know it's coming. We know the weather's changing. We know this is what customer shopping habits are going to do. And in the first week of February, they're going to go shop for flowers, right? So we're just going to push all the flowers out and they're going to be there. And, and the store doesn't have to worry about ordering that. And then we know that that's kind of the predictive analytics part. And then we, 
we know what to do on our side, what, what it's coming in and how we need to flex and, and flow the product as best as possible. Is there a, um, I don't know, like a golden triangle of this is the distance that distribution needs to be from the stores. You know, if we're going to, if we're going to warehouse something or we're going to stock something, it needs to be, it can be this far away, but it shouldn't be this far away. Do you, do you, is there that, or it should get to us, you know, whatever that last mile is or that last, you know, in telecom, we talk about last mile. Um, I had a guy on the other day who gave this really, we were talking about caching, which is just in the world of streaming video. Right. Um, you don't want everybody going to that same server to watch uh, The Little Mermaid. And so he said it looks like an hourglass. So on the, on the top side of that hourglass is um, the people who are producing the content, and let's say there's a hundred of those. And then that narrow part is sort of the network to get it to the 10 million that are in the lower part of the hourglass. And so what you want to do is you want to, before people ask for it, you want to push it through that bottleneck. So it's sitting near enough so that when they ask for it, they don't have to go through the bottleneck. It, it's already within some proximity, which probably explains why my... Um, you know, the, the movies that I like that are, I'm not going to list them here. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, my, my 80s Tom Cruise flicks or whatever right. um, always get choked up because nobody caches them anywhere, <laughs> right? Uh, but it's, um, uh, I, I, I'm wondering in your world, how do you balance that? Because you don't want it to rot. You don't want it to right. expire. Right. Uh, you want it to be able to be available. Um, what, what does that look like? How do you manage through that? Yes, sir. It's different for different companies. I, I've learned in food service and, and some of my experience with racetrack. I mean, the the, the uh, delivery radiuses are pretty are pretty large at Kroger. Not so much. We had local. We had a three tier network, so you had local distribution centers that really serviced the fastest moving items. So think bananas, think milk, think you know uh, your laundry detergents, your dog foods, your very fast move moving items. Mm -hmm. Probably four to five hour radius really is what you want. And some of that, Dave, is designed around. The, new, the hours of service uh, that a driver can drive. So, you know, I can get out and back. I, I got about 10, 10 to 12 hours of drive time. And that's, uh, you know, that's one of the things that has contributed over the past 10 years, too, to driver shortages, uh, you know, our government and some of the policies that have been put in place uh, as it relates to uh, technology and, and, and business intersected there with uh, hours of service and electronic logs. Mm -hmm. That that wasn't a thing, you know, 15 years ago. Was I it had just for safety. Why, yeah, why safety. Okay. So drivers used to be able to you know drive seven, uh, 82 hours a week with a paper log, and now it got you know 10 years ago it became 70 hours a week. So right. uh, over a seven day period, they could only 80 drive. hours a week. They could drive 80 <laughs> hours a week. Yeah, it, was that when they count a week? Is that seven days or five days? Seven, they, seven days. Yeah, seven days. Seven so days. they would do you know. 11 or 12 hour days right right and now um, it's 10 hour days i mean it's 70 hours in in seven days and right. you have to take i, I can't quote i don't want to quote it uh, right. directly but there's a break period that you have to break like a 36 hour break you have to take it during a 10 day period or something like that yeah. so but that that hurt uh, driver capacity but that's also how you design a lot of your transportation and distribution networks is you say what what can i use a single driver on can he get out and back and he doesn't have to lay down, right? Because when he has to lay down and take a break, you lose 10 or 12 hours, right? Because he's got to be off the clock. So right. if he can get out and back, you know, so again, if I think about a four-hour radius, 
I can get out, make a delivery, and get back within my 10 hours, and I don't have to, he doesn't have to lay down, and I don't have to go rescue him mm-hmm. and, and get him back. So, um, you know, 10 years ago, we had to put in onboard computers onto all the trucks. We track all the driver's logs electronically now. That's government mandated. Mm-hmm. And um, and other telematics like that are happening to try to uh, prevent traffic flows and congestion and keep drivers moving efficiently, but it's also impacted you know, back in the day, uh, Johnny would kind of squiggle his lines on his, right. <laughs> on his paper log. Right? right. So, um, so they didn't want to lay down, but, um, but back to the network. So that's kind of how you, uh, you want to put the fastest moving stuff the way Kroger designed it in that proximity. Mm-hmm. And then I can get out and back and, and you go as frequently as you need to, depending on the demand. So five or six or seven days a week to stores and then product that moves slower, um, you might be further away and go less frequently. Mm-hmm. And so a driver could have a break in there. So, uh, and then, and then Kroger has three tiers and the last tier is the seasonal stuff. So think Valentine's, think Easter, think, uh, spring and summer, mm-hmm. you know, the very seasonal things, um, uh, you just bring that in one time a week and from a much larger distance and you service a larger store base. If that mm-hmm. makes, that makes sense. That's how the Kroger network's designed. And I know all the d- networks are, designed differently, but it's certainly, uh, to me, you got to have, uh, velocity of your item is key to how quickly you want to replenish at racetrack. We go three times a week to the stores and we're in that same kind of model, you know, four to four to six hours, Mm -hmm. uh, one way mileage. So we can get a driver out and back without laying down is kind of the same, the same model. Is most of your store supplied, um, with inner, you know, things not from the U.S., or are they mostly regional, certainly U.S.-based? I I guess my question, the way I'm thinking about that is, if I'm supplying from, you know, a four-state area or or even then a continental U.S. area, that's a different problem to solve than, because I have different, I have fewer intersections, I have less complexity than picking it up from, shoot, even Canada and Mexico these days. Right. But certainly beyond um, beyond the continent, um, do, are your stores primarily sourced uh, continental U.S., or are they, or are they a, a healthy mix of non-U.S. and U.S.? It's mostly U.S.-based. I mean, okay. we do have things like spoons, uh, the color-changing spoons for your Swirl World yogurt stave. Are, are yeah, they come never from heard China? China right? uh, those are international. Some of the, some of the uh, pastry items do come from, from Mexico, uh, so, and those have been a real challenge to, to obtain as well. So anything coming internationally right now is a, a, just a longer lead time and a much bigger challenge given the, the backups at the ports, yeah. no doubt. It, um, you know, as I look at that stuff, I'm wondering when did the conversation start happening about, well, twofold. One, uh, earlier this year, there was a, um, there was, a, you know, f- we've all talked about it, the um, stoppage with the fuel flow, the, the you know, they had the malware right. or the ransomware attack. Right. And uh, a lot of organizations, be not just at home, but you know, found out pretty quickly, while well, we're, we're vulnerable to moving stuff. I've got stuff in vehicles that's going to expire and I'm going to have that loss, much less keeping shipments moving and my customers happy. And I don't even have customers in some of my stores because they're afraid to move or whatever. And so there's a lot of talk, again, about electrification mm-hmm. and, uh, of vehicles. 
Uh, do you, the fleets, when you guys look at logistics, are you considering changing fleet types to more electric or less electric? And then the question after that I'm curious about is, when do you start looking at autonomous or do you look at autonomous, whether it's just like Amazon proposed years ago of um, even, even some of the Uber and some of the others, like s small deliveries, you know, I'm going to do my same day delivery in this, uh, maybe not to your home, but a drop point nearby that everybody can go to. The drones fly in, comes off the drone or whatever. I'm relieving congestion, just kind of the idea. Have you guys thought about electrifying your fleet? And then secondly, autonomous vehicles. Yeah, so autonomous, I'll start with that. I know Kroger experimented with autonomous vehicles, and they did some testing, and I don't think it, it hasn't gone widespread, but they kept like a five-mile radius around stores, right? So instead mm -hmm. of coming to the Kroger store to pick up your delivery, they had the autonomous vehicle go and make those deliveries. It's not something that's really proliferated or picked up a lot of speed that I'm aware of, but mm -hmm. it's something they definitely were testing, and they also were testing with drones, uh, doing the drone delivery. Really? Kroger pack. tested with that? Yep. Yep. Wow. Just so you want uh, you know, a can of corn or something. I mean, obviously there's a very right. strict weight limit of what could be, but think a lot of prescription, uh, prescription medicines, if you need those right. delivered and just get those. I know my neighbors, they'd be shooting drones out of the sky. <laughs> what's, what's in that pill bottle? <laughs> right, right. We're well armed down here in Georgia. That would be, that's not like a turkey shoot. Right, right. <laughs> I, uh, I just got a drone uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's a little DJI one. It's this really cool thing. I've been flying it around the house. And, you know, as fun as it is, it's also terrified me a little bit with, wow, this is a really good camera. You know, what if somebody else got a drone? What could they, you know, what could they look at? And, you know, I was flying it. One of the, we have a lot of trees and stuff around our home, but the big clear areas uh, are the roads. And so you're kind of 15 feet out over the cul-de-sac, kind of flying around the road and, um, and through, you know, I didn't think about kind of cutting across one neighbor's yard as I flew it back to my house. And I thought, well, I wouldn't walk across their yard. Certainly wouldn't ride my bicycle or, you know, kind of jog across their yard. That right. wouldn't be normal. Um, I, you know, maybe I need to have a little bit better etiquette than fly this thing over there. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, I, I just got to think about it. What else could they see with this thing? What else can they, you know, what about the, just the noise? Because it, when it's not near you, it's great but when it's near it sounds like a bumblebee right and so um you know just the idea of of you know hundred you know whatever the count would be just a you know an innumerable amount of these buzzing noisy right. things flying around would drive me uh crazy and i'm well armed as well i don't you know <laughs> shooting these things out of the sky but i it does feel like at some point i don't i don't know if it's if it's the way we imagine it today with the size and um, uh, capacity of the, you know, the batteries for these things, but uh, to, to relieve congestion, to get a quicker response, it just feels like it's inevitable that, um, you know, you'll have something like, like somebody couldn't even imagine the super grocery store 50 years ago. Or, right. well, I remember Walmarts when they were a little, you know, right. dollar general size and the bowling greens and the, you know, <laughs> right. they're in little titty tiny towns. And so it just feels like this is evolution. I'm just curious in the, in the logistics supply chain world, when does the, the material to make these things and operate them is there's, it's so inexpensive that they can just pick up and just do, be a runner all day long. Right. Do you guys give that any consideration? Is it in your planning sessions? It's, it is some, but you know, Kroger went to uh, the delivery Akato 
model. I don't know if you're familiar with that mm-hmm. the deal they struck, but it's really a ship-to-home model. And so they've, they're building a network of distribution centers that will do ship-to-home mm-hmm. uh, as a, as a, to compete against you know, Amazon, who does that already. And Kroger's taken, again, not using third parties, not using Instacart, which could, right. have, could have been an option, right, just to use that company. And I think that's what Publix does. I think they use Instacart. Yeah, they have Instacart. Is that an independent, independent of Publix? It's its own entity? It is. It's its own entity, just a third party that you know, they're contracted with that, do the, that does the shopping, and then they bring it, bring it home, right? But Kroger went a different route, and they put all the money into the infrastructure to build these dedicated ship-to-home distribution centers mm-hmm. and where you're going to order online and, and get it shipped, shipped to, your, to your house with a Kroger truck right mm-hmm. uh Kroger delivery van so you know they they're i know they've looked at electrification on a lot of things at autonomous vehicles i know they put a, a bid in or, and ordered some of the tesla mm-hmm. trucks they hadn't got them delivered i know there were some problems yeah. with those but uh you know a, autonomous trucks uh, on side streets you know i just don't see that in the future for a long long time myself uh on the interstate point to point for maybe to get from california to uh, to Nevada Atlanta, or something, perhaps, or to Atlanta, or, yeah. yeah, but but uh, on side streets, there's just to me too many <laughs> variables that that have to be worked out. Uh, and of course, I'm not an expert. You, you've right. had experts on the show, Dave, way yeah. way more in depth on this stuff. They than went me, to but, Texas A and M. I don't know if they're <laughs> how experts are there. I just know from an operations uh, standpoint, you know what I see. Um, it's it's a challenge. You're still going to need people there in those seats making decisions when you have 80,000 pounds of, of cargo back there, uh, on a trailer, right? It's, um, the, 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 um, the downside's too great. The risk is too great in my opinion, but, but, uh, you looked for alternative fuels, right? Mm-hmm. Like liquid nitrogen or mm-hmm. liquid, liquid natural gas, I should say. Mm-hmm. We, we did that in uh, the Atlanta DC. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't do battery charging anymore. We do liquid natural gas. Mm-hmm. And, um, that just, uh, you know, you fill it up like you're filling up your car. Mm-hmm. And uh, and why is that? Is it more efficient? Is it more environmentally friendly? Is it more available? Why Why that fuel? It was, uh, the cost was around the same as electricity. For us, it was an operational benefit. You could okay. do it faster than battery changing. Okay. And so there's some operational benefits there and you don't lose speed, right? The battery power, as as you go, your battery gets weaker. And, right. and uh, also from a replacement standpoint, you know, you got to, be updating and changing the batteries and in here you got the the liquid nitrogen that you just keep filling up and going so yeah. so that's one of the thing and i know just california you talk about electric california emissions standards they they've said you know by they put a date out there x amount of time you have to convert all your trailers to electric reefers if they're not if they're not on the road mm. so uh, I know Kroger was having to invest in all the infrastructure at all the distribution centers to charging stations for all the trailers. So when they come off the road, they have to turn off the diesel and plug them in. Mm-hmm. And California is mandating, and you know they're usually on the leading edge of a lot of the mm-hmm. uh, environmental things that are happening. So you know a, a lot of the government uh, mandates or changes are, are forcing uh, a lot of the electrification things for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I know Racetrack is looking at that just from a consumer standpoint how can they stay viable um and and uh if if electric is coming how can you know really i know it's about charge times right like how can you get the charge times to where it would be equivalent to filling up uh, where people would still be coming to your store i'll be curious to see how the whole electrification story continues to expand it is um uh 
I never thought I would be particularly interested in an electric vehicle. A friend of mine got uh, one. There's a lot of it that I like. I, in particular, like, I mean, I still have range anxiety. That's a challenge. Um, I go to my, right around the gas station around my, uh, around the corner from me is a Kroger. And it's usually pretty easy to get in and out. And um, it, we do our shopping there nearby. Um, but it is, um, you know, I got to go there instead of just plugging it at my house. But then again, uh, you know, what's the, what's the hidden cost of electricity in the house? What's the hidden cost of the, the batteries? And so it's, we, I'm not saying there's winners or user, losers yet, but what really caught my attention was the idea of the um, electric trucks. They have so much torque. They have so much strength. I've, I drive a big F-250. Now, that wasn't supposed to be my regular driver, but I've got a bunch of kids in college. And um, so, yay me. This is, you know, the <laughs> RV uh, four-wheel hauler is now dad's daily driver. I'm ridiculous. But, um, but the idea of a, of a vehicle that I could park in my house or at my house, plug in, presuming it's affordable, um, it'd be wonderful if I said it's also for the environmental benefits, but it always starts with convenience, I think, right. for most people. And if that's convenient, um, I'm not going to drive two or 300 miles I- in a regular course of a day in a vehicle like that. I don't do it with my other vehicles. And so if I can just come in and just park it or like my wife's new uh, iPhone, just pull it on the charge pad nice. and, you know, and away it goes. And so every day I come out of my, my vehicle, you know, that's just one less step to go to a store um, and then I'd be curious to see how the market responds. Well, now you're not coming in to, cause when I go to Kroger to gas up my vehicle, you were talking about water before I literally just said to myself, Oh, I need to pick up another <laughs> case of water, which I would do there right? because we go to the boat or right. we go to do whatever. And, right. um, and I'm going to do that there. And if I'm not driving into, you know, so I'd just be curious to see how that changes, but it does feel like there is more and more momentum um, in the way that I've described it for um, electric vehicles. And there's, there's not, you know, I'd be curious to see if um, facilities that do traditional gas pumping now, if they, you know, regardless of how technology catches up, because technology will catch up, do they become fast? You know, you can come in and for five or eight minutes, char- can I add 15% char- or whatever it is? I don't know how that would work, but can I get a fast charge or right. maybe hybrids it where I've got a small fuel tank and a uh, battery? Um, I'm just curious to see how that world, they've got to be thinking about what are these changes, whether they're government imposed or just consumer, um, you know, consumer changes to um, how they transport themselves. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and obviously the impacts on the environment as well, but, but obviously what the, what's most efficient and can be done uh, and still get things delivered. That's, that's, uh, you know, I know other folks have, tested with alternative fuels for a long time too. Yeah. compressed natural gas and the LNG hydrogen. The I know in California, they tried to hydrogen a lot and it just right. didn't, it, it's a complex system. It's not inexpensive right. to build into your vehicles. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk and a lot of, they thought public interest, but just really, at least last time I checked, it really hadn't taken off at all. Nothing compared to electricity or anything right. else. There's just, uh, you know, it was just a hassle. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of infrastructure, too, that has to be invested in, to your point, especially at a, a trucking, you know, at a Kroger distribution center. You know, you, we got we had 150 tractors that have to be taken care of and maintained, and so that's, uh, that's a whole thing, too, yeah. as well. So, Do you think, it in, as it relates to supply chain, 
you know, one of the things that came out of the pandemic, keeping politics out of this is just cons- ease of being a consumer. There has been a lot of conversation in my small circle saying, man, we need to, we need to manufacture that near home again, whatever the, that was. Um, everything from pastries to uh, pharmacies to my antibiotics to and everything in between. Is there, is there any talk from your shareholders or, or within the peer groups that you um, spend time with or your board or the consumers that you serve to say, hey, how do we, or you going to your partners and saying, look, I, I, you know, I, we need to see this more produced in a way that makes sense for us and more locally. I think they're going to say, well, it's going to be, you know, some percent more expensive. But is there any movement to do that? Have you heard anything? Some, some, and we think about distribution. I mean, Racetrack, again, being that more vertically integrated, what we talked about earlier, we're trying to invest in our network right. in, in, in a particular southern state, and we can't find real estate to do it, right? right. So uh, that's one investment is, is uh, or one stri- strategic thing is really that to be more vertically integrated, get your own space, get more space so you can have more inventory and protect yourself, you know, from a service perspective. Uh, and I, I, you know, I know that a lot of the manufacturers are looking if it is, uh, you know, how can we keep two suppliers? That's a constant uh, sure. conversation. So not just we I call ha- that M plus one. Right. I, I need I need whatever I need. I need a spare tire. Right. So so that I've got if a link fails, I've got a second. Right. So that's something I learned a lot about at Racetrack, just because our, our number of items are a lot less than, let's say, at a Kroger. Right. So uh, and, and we really have food service right to make sure you have your pizza there so what's an alternative we can't get white cheese can we use yellow cheese on the pizza right or if we can't get onions what if we you know what if we put bacon on on the on the pizza obvious answer (laughs) right always go for bacon right so uh more so than international or you know international production versus domestic it's really a conversation about multiple suppliers you know how can you really diversify and have more substitute items and be able to be flexible in that way, which is gets complicated with because culinary gets involved and they got to make sure the taste profile is the who's, same. Who's oh the the the, the cooks <laughs> the chefs yeah, yeah the, the chefs the chefs got to make sure the pizzas with white cheese and yellow cheese and you know is it going to be what the customers want right so uh, you know we just went through this last year with racetrack I mean it just seems like we were a, a chicken shortage and then that became. I guess they went out and slaughtered more chickens, which then caused right. an egg shortage. And then you, know, you didn't have any eggs for your egg sandwiches, so you had to go with just sausage and, and cheese, you know, biscuits versus... Really? <laughs> I didn't know any of that. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, we, we, we joke. It's kind of whack-a-mole. Like, every week it was a different supply right. issue uh, that kind of popped up on the food side. Just and, and so you're just trying to be as nimble as possible with your offerings, with, with your combinations and what you're putting out there and... And, and suppliers, right? So how can you get multiple suppliers engaged and give them enough business where it makes it worth their while too, right? Right. Um, you know, Racetrack had, had chosen a supplier on chicken that serviced a major, um, one of the major fast food uh, companies as well. And so they came in and they sucked up and said, we want all your chicken. And so they, you know, Racetrack was a smaller player. And so, so we had a couple week notice to go find a new chicken supplier. Right. So uh, those are the things, um, you know, not as much like I'm mentioning international, but just domestically, how can you diversify yourself with your supply base and, and uh, have the partnerships 
uh, to keep to keep things in stock. Was that not them. a challenge before the last ten years? You, you know, uh, I, I'm not trying to pick on any particular end, of, you know, vendor at the end. Right. But it, you know, in in our world, um, we've got it. We cannot have a single point of failure. Nobody would do business with us if we had single points of failure in our network infrastructure, in our entrances, in our um, ability to deliver things and because stuff happens it, right you know it's electrical it's mechanical it's um moving packets you know it's a complex system and um there are risks there are environmental risks there are people risks there's all kinds of you know malware risks um and it seems to me um i, I mean that's that's a that's a surprise when we and, and it bears out to be true when we've applied the kind of pressure we've applied in the last 24 months, whether it's the people that are available right. because of changing work habits or the people that are available because of um, health concerns or health impact or mandates to stay in or whatever, that um, there's that much pressure. And now, um, you know, a little bit of the hoarding, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but right. coming up and saying, hey, we're going to buy um, all the forklifts. Right. So everybody, so now to get the stuff off of the boat at the dock, I don't have, you know, raw material to right. replace the forklifts that I already have in, like on and on and on. Right. Seems, um, uh, it seems like we're just compounding the problem. So was that regular that you did? Look, we've got a good, reliable supplier. That's enough. We don't need to have two or three. Was that pretty common? I think in the food space it is uh, to some degree, but you always had, let, let's, I think about produce specifically, right? right. If grower A doesn't have the strawberries, grower B, his crops are coming up, so we would grab strawberries for grower B, right? If you think about the food supply chain, that, that that's always been pretty common. I think now it's just the demand on everyone is just increased, and they're, again, because of everybody's individual issues, the productivity rate or the production rate is not where it was in the past. Mm. Uh, racetrack specifically, they a lot of times they say, well, we had this substitute item, but it's from the same supplier. Right. So where where you might have, uh, I'll just you know, ke- or tw- tw- twenty ounce ketchup, and oh, we'll just use the twelve ounce ketchup, okay. right? Well, gotcha. he, he's coming off the same line. He had an issue. So in the past, you know, if you didn't have, you may have had a problem with a particular bottle or a line. Right. But when the whole plant has issues, now you're getting nothing, nothing right. from those. So it's really, um, I think that's really caused everybody to do more, right? To how can you not just have substitute items, but then the substitute suppliers, which is what you, yeah. you know, you guys are probably much more adept than that. Just giving um, the consequence, the risk, right? I mean, if I don't have your breakfast sandwich today, but I can get it back tomorrow or next week, right? it's not as, as, as uh, the impact, you know, is not as great, right? right? So I think... I don't know. I'm pretty hungry. So it, <laughs> it depends. I don't... I mean, I see your point. I, it's... Um, uh, when you... When you sit back and you're, how do you plan then? How do you sit back and say, not just how do I meet the man today, but how do I build a system that has, you know, the minimal of external, I'm, I'm assuming that there are people that can supply things. So, you know, right. short of Armageddon. Right. Um, where, where I minimize the impact. You talked about one, which was, Look, some of this we're going to take in house. We're going to we're going to control for ourselves. Right. 
you're not making your own eggs and your own chicken, right. or, or I hope not anyway. My right. neighbor had started doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I've seen um, that too. Yeah, people with the chicken coops out back, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's more work, and you get unintended, um, uh, you know, extracurricular. Some of the some of the critters come around looking at right. the chickens, you right. know, not just to eat the chickens, but the possums and all right. kinds of stuff right. um, come around. But, I, but how do you, when you look at that, do you look at, man, let's, you know, staffing in the store? Because I know that's a challenge. Do we get into yep. robotics? Do we right. get into, um, you know, um, RFID or whatever the uh, an inexpensive technology is on everything to give me a more accurate inventory so I don't need as many people to do inventory because the, the technology is doing the inventory for me? How do you look at that and say, man, how do we mitigate some of these risks beyond controlling some of the areas we've already talked about? Yeah, definitely. As you know, there's a technology out there that goes robots that go up and down aisles to shoot holes, right, to, to maintain that inventory. Oh, I didn't know that. How, how does that work? Yeah, they just, uh, just like a person. What do you mean they shoot holes? Well, sorry. So, <laughs> so I say shoot holes because at Kroger and other stores, they have a gun and I'm uh, an RF gun where you're just you shoot the the tag and it okay, it, got it. it lows and holes, right? So it's a low shelf condition or it's a, it's a hole that's empty, right? It's out of okay, stock. So I'm it. I'm shooting it uh, and I'm creating that list of items and I'm adjusting the inventory to zero. Uh, so the so on my next order that I know what what I uh, to be in stock, right? So, but now they have robots that will just go down the aisles and it's scanning it knows you feed it the a you know the artificial intelligence that says this is what the shelf should look like when right. it's full and it's scanning for those conditions and if not there it knows what item is supposed to be in there so you know you have a shelf planogram and it knows by shelf by item how many facings you should have and when it doesn't see that then it knows we've got a problem or this is the really? you know and uh, yeah so that technology is all out there all to yeah. take the human element out and where I need less people. We haven't, you know, as far as stocking shelves, we haven't figured that one out. I've seen yeah. some pretty creative things that, you know, conveyors that might run between shelves and push things down. You might see in a, a manufacturing environment, we haven't adopted yeah. a lot of that, but uh, in, in the U S but there are a lot of things being done to try to, you know, a lot of technology with cameras too. Right. So Kroger implemented that several years ago with uh, their queuing that one of the biggest complaint was how many, how long I had to wait in line, right at the when I was queuing at checkout, right. And so they have technology. If you ever see, it looks like uh, lottery numbers up on a on a screen. It's the one plus one queuing is what they called it years ago, which is which is to say it knows how many customers have entered the location and it right. knows the average shop time right. and all those analytics and the, and it's telling the store associates. In 30 minutes, I'm going to need two cashiers. In 60 minutes, I'm going to need three based on my traffic that's in the store, right? Really? So so it's really that allocation of labor and how can you be uh, more astute with, with the data and information that you have. So that's definitely, that's all out there and happening today to try to use technology and information to, to best utilize the labor. And, and, and Racetrack is the same with uh, running the store with as few people as possible, right? Uh, right. And so you might only have one person that showed up and, and called out. So how do you get everything right. accomplished? And um, and it's still a challenge. Like I said, we there haven't there has not a uh, solution for putting those snicker bars on the shelf. I mean, that person still has to. Have do you it. ever been to a minor league hockey game uh, or, or or minor league baseball? Yeah, minor league baseball. Sure. Okay. They, you know, they have the people that come around between innings that shoot the shirts up to you. Yep. <laughs> that tell you, you one of those air guns. I would love to see that robot right. just shooting those snicker. 
it sound like a, you know you'd have to go through a whole training thing. It reminds me of my old uh, dot matrix printer. It sounds right, like a right. you know drive by shooting happening right. or something. But um, yeah, it's. Um, well, you talk about inventory tracking, Dave. So we 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 experimented with Bluetooth Low Energy, a company that would track uh, the assets of mm-hmm. the delivery and and art. Just, RFID or Bluetooth Low Energy, right. we've used both and, and sampled with them. So you can really avoid the check-in process for associates where, uh, did I really get one case of Snickers? Did I really get right. one case of Twix? No, it knows it's in that tag. The tag crosses the threshold in the store network. It uploads, it backloads to the inventory. We know it's there. We know it got to the right store, et cetera, et cetera. So that backloading of the inventory. So you kind of take that that part out for the associates too. So there's a lot of technology that's been implemented to try to, again, uh, keep the right data flowing and uh, keep the supply chain in stock. Do you think they, could they tell down to the individual item in the wrapper or is that cost prohibitive? In other words, you bring in a case of Twix, right? There's 48 of them in there. Do they have unique IDs on them? Like you do a dollar bill. And the reason why I'm saying that I'm curious is if you can track that individual item, whatever it is, inexpensively. So basically print on labels that are, um, you know, they, they, that's sort of the holy grail. They dissolve, not before they're supposed to, but when they dissolve, they do no harm to the environment, et cetera. But I'm sure you've seen, as we all have some of the news stories of people just coming into stores and taking stuff and whatever. Oh, yeah. Facial recognition problems aside, I'm going to set that, uh, the horror stories and the, you know, the um, surveillance state of that aside, if you've got the ability to know who's coming and going from your store, you know, the technology can tell you that. Right. Coordinating their vehicle, their license plate, their whatever, their their facial recognition or whatever. And, um, and I can track that thing that did not go through the register. It left the store. I know who took what. I wonder if that, it's a little minority report-ish, but... I think I haven't been to the Amazon uh, store that's like that, but they they have that right. Do Where, they really? Yeah, they do. Or you can just grab it and and walk out. Yeah, and it's 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 capturing you going in, and and uh, it knows what's on the shelf, you know, with that technology, and it's got the cameras. So Amazon is is uh, they do have some stores that are like that. I wonder if you'd have to be like. Um, so what I'm describing is just just open to the public, but you know, with something like that, if you've you've got to have then, it's kind of like using my. Um, you know, my, my daughter and I had the same experience or we learned the same lesson. We had different experiences, which was I let her use so that she could watch videos, my prime account. She she didn't log out when she went to buy something from Amazon. It showed up on my car because it's just linked to the wallet or whatever. I I think it was, it was either Apple or Amazon. I forget which one it was. Um, but, you know, yay, look, I just swipe it in a way. Now, if she had been on her account, that would have never happened because she didn't have the credit or the, you know, whatever the, the wallet set up necessary for that to happen. Right. I had to have it. So I could just go in and it, you know, it doesn't ask me, you sure you want to spend that? What it just says is, is this the address? Because we're going to get it to you right. In fact, we can get it sooner if you want. <laughs> um, they wanna, they're encouraging me to uh, make a buying decision. I'm just wondering if at some point, you know, there's got to be some relationship. You're the, you know, if you want to be able to use that, whether it's behind glass or there's, you know, like a giant vending machine or whatever, you want to just skip the line. You just, you know, you're already pre-registered as one of our users with, right. you know, whoever the vendor is, racetrack or whoever, and you just come in and you load up your stuff and off you go. And we've scanned it and 
Um, you know, or maybe there's some on the way out the door. Hey, we see in your cart are these things. You agree? You know, and if right. you do, the turnstile opens, or it, it seems like that that might be in our and you know something in our future. Retailers are going to have to do something with some of the shenanigans that are going on. A friend of mine told me of his son worked at one of these retailers as the I don't know what they called it. Basically, the security person that right. in the past would say, "Hey, you're taking something." Well, the store has told them, "Don't you dare right. Right. stop in front of anybody." He's like, "So what am I here for? You right. know, direct them to the restroom or whatever." Right. And they're just stealing in this. I'm not going to name the store or the town, but they just were stealing, and that's an unsustainable model. And so I'm wondering, you know, how do we roll technology into the, you know, I'm managing my supply in the store. I I'm expecting to get paid. There's loss, obviously. I'm expecting to get paid for it. But how do I use tech to help me stock, help me keep inventory, right? and manage what's going out the door and who's paying for it? Yeah, it's a big challenge. I know, especially Kroger, I mean, the the, um, the priority, competing priorities, right? So I know Kroger's investing more in U-Scan technology, meaning, you know, you check yourself out. And I know Walmart is investing pretty yeah. heavily in that and other retailers, right? Even even Racetrack has U-Scans yeah. uh, where you can just go up and, and check out and go. And um, it, it's a big challenge on, on the theft side and people gaming that system or not, you know, having associates that are distracted, right, and people walking right. out with, with items. But, uh, you know, I would say we definitely need a, a, a technology solution of some kind. Uh, and if it's RFID or Bluetooth low energy, I mean, what makes what makes sense? I'm not sure. I know that's been talked about a lot. If, uh, and Kroger even did some testing with electronic shelf tags um, where, you know, that way they could change. It gives you a lot more capabilities of RFID when you've got an electronic device on the shelf. And mm. so you could really track what's supposed to be there, right, or is not there. Mm. Um, that has not proliferated yet, but I know it's something they definitely were looking at as a way to, you know, for signage, for marketing, for price changes. And, again, it comes back to store labor. Mm -hmm. it's, if you think about the, at a Kroger store, how many there's 100,000 items in there. Someone had to go around and right. put price tags on every single one of those items, right? Yeah. Every week because they're a high-low retailer yeah. and they're changing prices constantly, what's on sale, what's not on sale. So the electronic shelf tags, that was always the big benefit is I can eliminate all that labor. Right. I just put electronic tag out there by uh, a few keystrokes. I can update a database and boom, I've updated all the pricing at all the stores right. in one fell swoop, right? So uh, it just hasn't... Uh, I wasn't on the project, but it obviously it just hasn't gotten the traction yet. But I think eventually, right, there's things like that that are going to continue to to grow because to, uh, for store labor purposes as well as just real time updates, mm. especially with in an inflationary market like we have today, right? I mean, yeah. prices are changing constantly, and how do you uh, stay ahead of those? I, I'm well, obviously. I mean, we've talked a lot about the tools, but obviously data, and I'm how much? What's the emphasis? We've I mean, it's been interwoven in this conversation today, but how much of your job or in your industry is really analytics of that, of big, of gathering that data and the big data itself? No doubt with uh, all the, well, everything flows from data, right? So as uh, the sales you'd, data you'd that we think, take. Not, <laughs> I hope, but right. I'm curious to hear how it works from the trenches. Yeah, well, from a supply chain, definitely the flowing of products and the procurement and buying, that's all 100% data driven. Mm -hmm. And then we, we certainly look at data and metrics as to improve our operation because we want to be as efficient 
too and, and how, what are their miles we're driving what's our utilization of our trailers what is the what is the productivity of our units per hour for our our warehouse associates you know you know we we try to measure everything we can and to create data and reports to to help us get better and improve uh i feel like in the supply chain is it's a, a very data rich environment given the the systems and technology that's there and uh, we certainly use it every day to improve ourselves and and really how do we improve service and lower cost those are my two mm. my two main missions that I talk about I, I certainly am passionate about supply chain mm. I see supply chain as a as a strategic weapon for a company I always loved at, at Kroger and I do at racetrack if if we can have water when Walmart or some other major retailer doesn't during a hurricane or storm you know it's just like we're gonna win right, right. and I, I just see it as such a strategic weapon to be better operationally and as efficient as possible um as long as we have the products we're gonna we're gonna get it there and that begins and ends with data i mean what what's our daily movement what's our daily volume how can we how do we make sure we have the right staff to accommodate did we did we get everything delivered on time so you know the telematics and the trucks we have two-hour delivery windows we we capture all that on-time data we look at early late and on time and work to improve every week uh, because store labor's tied to your delivery times, right? Mm. So there's that expectation of that I'm going to be there between 10 and midnight. If we get there at 2 a.m., well, that stock crew that came in at midnight has been there two hours right. not productive, right? So right. that's uh, so it's all about we, we measure all those things uh, How often every day. does it tell you? I mean, does your iPhone just say, hey, or your, your watch say, oh, you know, did, did you're getting logistics there. Is that a... I, I mean, I, I don't even know how that would work. Is that a weekly thing? Is it a daily thing? How do you how do you get that information? So on a daily basis, you can get that information with oh. with the onboard computers that are on the on the trailer uh, tractors. You know, it's constantly right. updating. And then and then we also sampled with trailer telematics too. So really, the Food Safety Modernization Act came along, FISMA, and you know, there's new requirements around keeping food safe mm. and really having accountability of the temperature of the foods while in transit so uh you know th those tractors and trailers going down the road are, are transmitting you know, multiple signals out over the over the network uh you know that the, the the there's black boxes on there like airplanes uh, that that have you uh if there was a crash you, we're going to know what how fast that tractor was going did he hit the brakes did he not hit, mm. or she hit the brakes mm -hmm. did they swerve left or right i mean all the all the data is being transmitted as well as on those trailers, refrigerated trailers, it's constantly transmitting data, so we know at all times what is the temperature of that shipment. But uh, we had daily scorecards and weekly scorecards, and yes, I did work with some carriers to develop an app that we geofenced all the stores, and we were trying to get real-time information to store managers. Mm. So we would send a message, "Hey, this is your shipment." It left the distribution center. It got outside the geofence, and we would send them a text and alert. What's the geofence? What does that mean? The geofence, so uh, just just a circle you would draw around the store or location, right? Okay. So, and it, and then you can tie alerts to that. So when you get outside of that uh, of that area, uh, then an alert can happen. Okay, and you made you aware of it. So so yeah, we had an app where you're outside the geofence. From the distribution center, the store manager gets a text, hey, your truck's leaving the D.C. Hey, and then we draw a larger one around the store. So when you break that, say, hey, you're five minutes five minutes away, which means, you know, at Kroger, uh, 
you have to ring the bell right. <laughs> and get somebody to come to the back door. Store managers, people are busy. We want them up on the front facing right. customers. And so the more we give them the heads up, so that way our drivers don't have to wait. Because right. the faster we can turn our driver, then he can get back and run another load, right? Versus, right. you know, hurting our productivity. So, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's it's fun. I, I love supply chain, Dave. <laughs> uh, it sounds like it. I'm, 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 you know, it's curious because I'm always imagining – um, you know, the big things that we, we, we've talked about, many of them today, but autonomous, um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics, um, data analytics, um, optimization, predictive analytics, you know, at, and, and how do we mitigate risk and how do we enhance the customer experience, wh- whether that's in a worship service or it's getting my pizza at the, you know, I don't know why those two things are tied together. I probably have an unhealthy relationship with them, but it's, but it's, um, you know, those things. And I, it, as you're describing that, I'm just imagining how that could look, um, not just, acro- you know, in your specific organization, but across that industry uh, so that we're not as vulnerable, right? We get f- for a wage that we can afford or for a cost that we can afford, um, we, we can get the products and services that we need. They're available when we need them and we make it easier. So, it, you know, many times for me, it's not just, uh, does this retailer have water and that retailer have water? How easy is it for me to get? One of the retailers, um, supermarket, uh, I'm going to be generous and not say their name because I'm probably going to get it wrong. I forget which one, but they had their ice like in the frozen food aisle. <laughs> the other one has their ice at the end of the register. Right, you know, it's a right. big, massive, beautiful <laughs> store. Um, and you'd think, and I agree with them, it's not very photogenic to have it. But when I want a couple bags of ice, and it's a reminder for me, right. there's the ice. Right. Yeah, 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 right. I got all that stuff. I'm going right. to get out here. I'm going to go on the boat or I'm going to have a barbecue after church or whatever it is. And I don't have ice. I'm in big trouble. <laughs> right. But it's right there as a reminder. And yeah. those little things for me... Um, are, man, it's just as easy. I'll pay a nickel more if it's that much easier right, right. than I will um, uh, in most things, not in everything, but certainly just sort of consumer generic things all day long. Give me easy. If it's a, just a couple percent more expensive, I don't care. Right. I'll do it. Right. Um, and I'm looking to see how technology is going to enhance that for me um, so that, you know, I want my store open. I don't want that everybody's called out and the store's not open. So I'm not a big proponent of let's use technology to replace people. I think they enhance people. Right. Unless the people don't show up, then let's have the, you know, a robot greeter that's there to help me or whatever. That's, you know, I robot 20 years down the road. But <laughs> right. it's, I, I feel like that, you know, I don't know the world of logistics or supply chain. I feel the effects of it not working well. But I feel like those things are... Um, or flourishing in that space, I'm just not familiar with how they are. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of uh, technology and improvements and trying to, like you said, how can you get the ring the cross out of it? Um, you know, Kroger, the grocery industry in general is a, a penny margin business. Yeah. And so you know, you just make it up on on the volume. So how can you, you know, that's why we worked hard in, in logistics to try to be as efficient as possible and and. Uh, improve the service and, and keep lowering the cost to stay competitive because the big guys are out there doing it. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, they get you on the scale with, you know, the Walmarts of the world and their world-class supply chain organizations yeah. and technology, right? So, um, you know, what are they doing to, to stay competitive? Yeah. Well, as we wrap it up, as you look at the next, I don't know, I don't want to say five years, whatever it is in the near future for your industry, what do you think the public is going to see is the biggest impact to how the industry is adopting to some of the pressure that's going on? You know, I think... Take uh, us out on a positive note. On a positive note, well, I, I love the human spirit, right? We always yeah. find a way to make it work and, and make it work better. And I think, uh, you know, Lean, Six Sigma, you choose your process improvement mm-hmm. uh, methodology. I, I think we're going to come out of this bigger and stronger, in, you know, in, in the next generation. I think uh, this generation, you know, our kids, and, and uh, they're going to find a way to do this more efficiently, better, and... and uh, and and so we don't have these issues in the future right now we got to suffer through till we till we get through the other side i think but uh you know i think it'll be better in the long run and and the supply chains are going to be more resilient whether companies are building in more redundancy because they've increased their supply they've they've, uh you know they've added i know a lot of retailers are adding more warehouse space to create that backlog i mean yeah, I think they're just going to keep planning. Uh, the planning cycle gets longer, and, and it should be better for everybody in the end, but it's going to take a little while to get there. Daniel, thanks for coming by today. I really appreciate it. And um, now i got to go over to the store. Yeah. Good. Good, too. <laughs> thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, Dave. All right. We'll see you.